and welcome to another episode of the Burt's Books podcast. This is the bit where Michael normally laughs at me because of the way that I shout hello, but not today because Michael is not here. Instead, I've got a new friend. <laughs> I've got Julianne. Hello, Julianne. Hello, Bert. How are you? Do I have to pretend to be Michael or can I just you be can, myself? You can pretend to be Michael if you want. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. No, I think I'd rather be myself. Okay, you'll be yourself. So, Julianne, you are um, a friend of mine, customer in the shop. We, that's how we met. Yes, I'm very fond of your shop. It's a nice shop. I think it's the best shop in Swindon. I think yeah. it might be a reason to move to Swindon. I think so. People have said that. People have certainly visited Swindon. And it's not just about the turquoise or the dancers that come to visit. The dancers are very nice. So. <laughs> you would think that. <laughs> um, but you're also a massive reader. Yes. Um, so before we go into... Because you're in my book club. You're in my LGBT book club. Um, so, But before we go into what we're talking about this week, I thought let's get to know you a bit. Um, so... How are you? Who are you? <laughs> what do you like to read? Just a little brief, Tracy. Yeah. I am, um, yeah, I live for books and always have. I think it's probably the most important part of my life since I was really, really young. I think it's how I relate to the world and it's how I understand my own place in it. And it's been phenomenally empowering all of my life. Uh, I work here in Swindon, so I did my PhD at Cambridge and then I moved to Swindon to work for the Arts and Humanities Research Council. So we fund lots of creatives and academics and researchers who are looking at and thinking about how culture and art and creativity make a difference in the world. And I think it's really great. My job sort of now allows me to expand upon and deepen what yeah, was important I... to me in life. Um, so I'm as a reader, I think you'll know from book club, I can be quite judgmental, <laughs> but I really am uh, quite democratic in my choices. I don't distinguish between literary fiction and so-called chiclet, or I, I like what I like. If it makes me think, if it makes me laugh, if it makes me feel, I'll enjoy it. It won't stop me picking it up because it's classified as being, you know, populist fiction or popular fiction or whatever. Um, if it and if it makes me feel, then I'm probably sold for life and I will go back and buy every book the person has ever written. Uh, I do probably tend to read more women than men. Yeah. Um, that's the whole lesbian thing. It's, it makes you inclined to sort of prefer female experience. But I think I read more women than men and I'm not a lesbian. Famously. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> Now, I've got uh, at least one book to talk about. Um, it depends on how much we chat, because I think we could end up chatting for a while. <laughs> um, but uh, you've got a book to talk about as well. I have my favourite from last year, uh, Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan. Okay. Uh, the reason I picked it for today was because I bought it uh, again after Christmas from you from my mother, yeah. who is generally a popular fiction reader, if you will. So in the same bundle, she picked up Graham Norton and Marion Keyes. Very disappointed with a couple of them, but loved some of them. But what she absolutely loved was small things like these. Well, That's we'll talk about me. that one. We'll talk about mm. my one okay. on the other side of this music. Normally, I say just surprise Michael and tell him you're going to go first. Um, <laughs> but as it's your first time on the podcast, I will talk about my book first and then we can talk about your 
choice. Um, so I've picked Only on the Weekends by Dean Atter. It's one of the ones I've read recently. One of the reasons I thought actually it'd be good to talk to you about it is because it's our book club pick this yes. month as well. So we'll be talking about that in a week or so. Um, but I really quite enjoyed it. I'm going to read the blurb so that everyone knows what it's about. 15-year-old Mac is a hopeless romantic. He's had a crush on Karim for what feels like forever, so he can't believe it when gorgeous, popular Karim seems into him too. But when Mac's dad gets a film directing job in Scotland, Mac moves with him and soon discovers how painful long distance is. Love shouldn't only be on the weekends. It's made worse by the fact that Karim can be so hard to read. Then Mac meets actor Finlay on set and experiences something electric. Mac never thought he'd find love, but now two boys want him. How long until his old and new life collide? So this is Dean Atter. He's written um, books before. Black Flamingo was one of his previous ones. It's the first one of his that I've read. It's a young adult novel. And it's told in verse. So it's one of those ones I thought, I really want to read this one day. It's why I put it forward for the book club. I thought there's potentially a lot to talk about in this. I didn't know how I'd get on with the verse. But... I ended up just kind of reading it as prose. I didn't really read it as poetry in in my head. I just sort of read through mm. as as um this is like the story of it and I didn't it didn't it didn't happen in my head as poetry. I think because I wrote a really basic approach to poetry and because it didn't rhyme, it wasn't poetry. <laughs> and even the way it's presented on the page in the yeah. verse form that didn't send you to think of think it in a cadence of that no so it didn't and I tried reading it out a couple of times like a few yeah. bits out loud and I, there were parts where okay yeah I can kind of see but I, I found it poetic in a way that I would find normal prose poetic in that just the, the general rhythm of a sentence mm. can be Poetic. Have you finished reading it? I haven't finished reading it. I had to put it down because the rhythm of it was invading my head to such an extent really? that I got up to my desk to go and try and write something. <laughs> and my sentences were coming out staccato style in a sort of... Oh, Or sat sort of verse way. I, I, I love poetry. Yeah. But I view poetry as something I engage with in a very different way. I yeah. do it as something that I want to, to use to make me think, to make me think about language in really small bite sizes, individual words and how they sound together. I read prose, I read novels probably in a very different way in that I'm, I can be a speed reader yeah. if something isn't you know really deep. And this doesn't lend itself to that because you have to wait for the meaning of the sentence to the second clause part of it and you have to scan the verse to get, the meaning. See, I read it yeah. as if I like. I just respect. I do speed read, and I read it as the same way that I read a novel. But what I really liked about it was that there's so little information on the page, and yet I felt like this story was still coming through. So it's very sort of sparse mm. language. Um, if it was a, if it was written as a novel, it would be quite short in places. But I felt like I was knowing these characters despite it. So I don't know if I really am the right person to speak and read a poetry verse. Because I don't read a lot of poetry. Uh, but when I do, I find that like it's poetry is 
short and mm. it's not for me a, an epic I mean I've never sit and read Beowulf or something. No. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't think any many people do but uh, <laughs> like for me poet the point of poetry is that there's a short thing and that tells a story or it tells makes you think about something it's a page or two so a book mm. of verse was new to me and I didn't really read it as verse and maybe I've not done it right. I don't know. However, if you've read it and enjoyed it, then you've done it right. Yeah. I don't think there's, we can say there's a right or wrong way. I, maybe it's because for me, the poets I choose to engage with is about the imagery. Yeah. And there's this and this is telling a story. story. And I want it. I, I struggle with anything that isn't in quite traditional narrative prose when it's about a story. So Sarah Baum, is it that spill, slip, falter? Is oh, that yeah, what yeah. I can't do that without punctuation and um, I need, yeah, I need the familiar on the page, I think, in order to connect with the story. Now, I'm enjoying it so far. I, I think it's, uh, we've read a lot for the LGBTQ plus book club uh, of, of young adult fiction and we've, we've some of us have struggled with yeah. different kinds of voices and that can be, I'm an older generation, I'm 44 and so sometimes for me, I, there is a bit of a leap in sort of recognising just how normal it all is for 15 year olds now to live their authentic selves but this one mm, I will finish because it's for book club D if leaving aside the form what did you think of the story so in terms of the story it didn't It's. It, I mean as it says in the blurb you've got uh, Mac who is um, I mean, he's basically presented to you, um, it's all from his point of view, so how much of it is real, I don't know. But he presents himself as this short, dumpy, black guy, um, and you know, he doesn't think much of himself physically. And so then he ends up with these two guys uh, liking him, and it's essentially a who-will-he-pick kind of story. Mm. Things I liked about it was that Finley is trans, um, and it isn't really a thing. It's yeah. just... A facet of his identity that's mentioned yeah. and it doesn't become the whole pivot around... Yeah, his, there's his no big anguish about, yeah. about it. Um, what I, I found Karim's story fascinating, or Kay as he's referred to in the book, because he is basically in the closet. I mean, he's 15, you know, he's... He's, Are you in the closet of 15? He's still, he? he's still trying to work himself out. He mm. knows who he is, but he's not quite confident to tell people mm. who he is. Mm. So his family know now that he's with Mac. He ends up like not none of his friends know. And what that means for his relationship with Kay and Mac is that Kay, where Kay's not very open, Mac doesn't really know where they sit with each other. And it's a bit like, as a, as a reader, you sort of want to take Kay and just shake him a little bit and just go, like, I get that you're nervous, I get that you're anxious about all of this, but you need to communicate. Like, you need to learn to, to communicate. And then Finley comes along and he's really super confident about who he is. And, and like, I wasn't sure throughout who I wanted Mac to end up with, if indeed I wanted him to end up with either of them. Um, because I thought, actually... Kay and Mac story kind of feels like a nice story if they can resolve the issue that, that is between them, which is basically poor communication. 
Um, I'm not going to say what happens because you haven't finished reading it yet and I don't like to do too many spoilers. Um, but I was, I think I was surprised by how it ended. Um, and I don't know that I was entirely satisfied. Ooh, okay. um, but we can discuss that more when it comes to book club. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I enjoyed I enjoyed it for what it was. I don't know that... Um, I, I definitely read more by Dean Atter. Um, and I think actually it's quite nice to be surprised by an ending. Um, but I, I still... I, I want to discuss it. I'm looking forward to Book Club because I want to discuss it with other people to see what they thought of the ending. Because actually, when I, the, when I look back on it, I feel like, yes, okay, that kind of makes sense. Mm. But also, I wish I wish we'd unpacked some of the other characters' issues a bit more. Um, like Finley has um, Finley's like this super megastar, and um, like Mac is a bit. Why would you be interested in me? And then, but he's also got that with Karim. Why would you be interested in me? So he, there's this whole why would you be interested in me thing that Mac has, and I'd like to have explored that a bit more. And then there's the whole K situation of him just actually being a bit of a rubbish boyfriend mm. and not really getting into 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 his side of things a bit more. I'd like to have understood that. So how far through are you? I I think about two hundred and forty eight. Okay, so yeah. about halfway. Yeah. I'm I don't know, I think it might be the generational thing where there's this I at the voice in my back of my head goes they're 15 this is not for life anyway so does yeah 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 <laughs> and I, so I can't quite take the drama yeah so seriously so i'm sort of going when i think of where i was at 15 <laughs> and, and where i am now in life i'm a bit i i can get a bit uh jaded in the sort of oh get over yourself this is not the end of the world yeah and that's it i did end it with well they're together now I mean, is it going to last? I don't know. Probably not, because it never does. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're even more cynical than I am. I, I, part of me wonders about, um, as I say, the generational thing and about whether it, maybe we've gotten to the tipping point where it's not actually just, it's not a gay book, it's just a book for teenagers. Yeah. And that's potentially a good thing, that it doesn't need to be that the characters are fully fleshed out embodiments of gay ideals and 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 that this subvert sort of um stereotypes that actually it's just a really good piece of young adult fiction that you can enjoy irrespective of um what your own identity is when you said that that just reminded me that i took some pictures of some of the a couple of the lines that i i, I it's just sort of oh that hits a bit um, one of them was, um, which I don't know if you've at this point or not, but he says, I'm gay dad. Also, oh, um, his dad's talking to him about, that's why I've chosen to make this film, an LGBTQ film for my LGBTQ son. And he replies, this is Mac, he replies, I'm gay dad, not LGBTQ. One person can't be a whole community. And that, I was like, do you know what, that, as, certainly when you're in, like, when I'm trying to do the bookshop or I'm... I'm trying to be everything for everyone, and actually I'm not. I'm just the G. You... Um, I don't. And know... even then, you're your own inflection of the G. This yeah. is the thing. We're not. We don't, we're not stereotypes. We don't live as stereotypes yeah. ourselves, and so you can't be the whole of any community. And I like that line. I like that that was being acknowledged mm. because often 
books are presented as, oh, this is LGBTQ fiction, mm. you'll enjoy it. And actually, it's not. It, this is very much Glee fiction mm. with a little bit mm. of tea. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, something else I took a picture of was um, he has an argument with his best friends. And I think, looking at this, you might be at around this point. Um, and so he's had an argument with Finley. Uh, not sorry, he's had an argument with um, Femi. Mm. And he's on the phone to Sim. And he's talking about coming back to London to see Karim, but Karim might not want to see him, so he might not bother. And Sim says, you know, if Kay doesn't want to see you tomorrow, I'd love to see you. I miss you. And Max says, I'm not sure what to say, because I don't miss Sim. Sim feels like part of me. Just like Femi, even though we're not talking, I know we'll be fine. My love for Simmy and Femi is like a phone battery that's always on 100%. But with Kay, it feels like we always need topping up. We're always running low. And I was thinking about some friends in my life. Mm. And there are friends that I've got. I mean, I went for like tea with a friend of mine, Carly, on Monday. And I haven't seen her properly for like three months. But before that, I probably hadn't seen her since I opened the shop last May. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just sat there and we chatted for two, three yeah. hours. And it fits. And it's like, she's one of those people. It doesn't matter how long. You can between pick up the threads. Her, we can just go in and boom. Yeah. And then I've got some new people in my life, which I was like, new friends, and I like, really like them, but I, I worry that um, like, if I don't see them next week or the week after, <laughs> is it just going to fizzle out and I'll never see them again? And yeah. it's like, I, I really, that resonated, because I, I am a big teenager in a way. <laughs> <laughs> he says in his Spice Girls sweatshirt. <laughs> but it was like, oh, do you know what, it's, it's funny how like, some things I just never really considered before, and actually that was a really nice analogy of actually how good friendship works how friendship works and I mm. just need and it shouldn't be like I mean Femi and Sim are like okay we can go months without seeing each other we don't want to uh, and then he's like but I need I need to solidify this bond with Karim because if I don't it will just fizzle away mm. and it's ha- and it's it's uh, that's what he's prioritising in that moment and maybe he should still be prioritising the, the, sol- the solid bonds yeah. that are there they won't break, but they still need looking after. I would be the person who would have 10 years ago probably sacrificed the friendship for the relationship. Yeah. And now at this point in life, we'd say no, um, those relationships can stay solid without that constant care. But you'll feel better and you'll be less likely to make bad choices about a relationship yes. if the other parts <laughs> of your sort of emotional well-being are taken care of and that's what good friends do for you and those, yeah. those friendships where they say you can see you haven't seen someone for eight or nine months and it's like you just stopped talking five minutes ago and you pick it back up and you have the shorthand and you understand each other yeah and it's just easy um that is only on the weekends by dean atta guess what julianne what? It's available to purchase at burtsbooks.co.uk. Are, are you sure? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> so, your turn. You've already revealed what it is. Small things like these. Claire Keegan. Tell us a bit more about it. Uh, so, I had never heard of Claire Keegan before this book came out. And I have gone back and read her entire back catalogue now. And I'm just in love. Totally bewitched. I... She has this incredible ability to put you in a place and time um, and it resonates so much for me with my own experience of growing up in Ireland. But she does it in novella length pieces and that for me is, again, not generally a fan of something shorter. But mm. um, So Small Things Like These is 
nominated just the shortest book to have been nominated I think for the book I think so yeah. yeah Um. so the blurb it is 1985 in an Irish town. During the weeks leading up to Christmas, Bill Furlong, a coal and timber merchant, faces his busiest season. As he does the rounds, he feels the past rising up to meet him and encounters the complicit silences of a people controlled by the church. I I just was so moved by it. Um, for those who maybe don't know the historical context, uh, it is. It does relate to the Irish mother and baby homes, the Magdalen laundries, that the church and state uh, were complicit in sort of housing or, or warehousing women um, and their and their babies um, over the cor whole course of the twentieth century. Uh, Bill is himself the product of a, of a single mother, and he's raising a family of young girls with his wife in this small town and becomes aware of what's happening in, in the local convent. Yeah, so he's completely unaware at the beginning, isn't he? I don't know if I'd say he's completely unaware as opposed to choosing to look the other way right. and it just doesn't get talked about. I so, think, yeah. Because I felt like, because I, I, I didn't really know much about it. Mm. And I'd read, um, I read this just before Christmas, I think. Um, and it, it, to me, it was like, I felt like I was Bill. I knew there was, I knew of the man in mm. the I knew that things happened, but I, I, I suspect he was probably in that same, where he knew there was these nuns and, and, the, and the girls would go there. Mm. But I suspect, for me, he didn't really know exactly what was going on. And then as it progressed... He seems it almost like the whole town knows, and he's a bit. Oh, you all, you all know this. Uh, I think what for me the book does on some level is is ask us to face those difficult questions about how much communities knew. So there are those now who would say that they didn't know and that this was something that was behind, you know, was quite literally behind closed doors, behind the walls of a convent. But young women were disappearing and yeah. their children were being, um, you know, either housed in, in, in the mother and baby homes or, or um, given up for adoption. Uh, this, what this book does, I think, is put that lens back on the community and the local people and ask you you yeah. could you couldn't How not did have you known not know? you, yeah. you, it, it, and you were complicit in your silence and that's what it does for me it's, it's that moral choice of it it's that the whole town um knows this is happening or knows something untoward is happening behind those walls uh but their own comfort their own safety their own well-being their own financial well-being is all tied up with being favored or being in the good graces of the ch of the church and so there isn't um you know the threat of standing out the threat of standing up against the authority in the town um is so immense and yet this man this very ordinary man who hasn't probably couldn't articulate anything around the idea of the church and state working together to manage things stands up and takes does the right thing yeah just because he knows what the right thing is it's inherent to him that he understands that this isn't right and he can correct a wrong and i think there's something just so moving about that because even though it could be at immense cost to his own family and his own family's fortunes and his business and every aspect of his sort of that's it you yeah. sort of realize the uh the, the things that he stands to lose mm. And yet he still makes the right it. choice, does the right thing, does the moral thing. And that 
is I suppose some of where the power rests in the book for me that it's about that the church doesn't have ownership of what the moral or the ethical thing to do is that this was this very ordinary very he's a man I recognize he's a person I know Um, the Ireland of 1985 is not so far removed from the Ireland I grew up in in the 1990s yeah. and to even conceive of someone standing up in that way and having their voice be heard and doing that on behalf of someone more vulnerable I think is quite extraordinary um, and that as I said that the clerky conveys all of this she takes you to that place she took me back to the Ireland I grew up in in you know a hundred pages and puts that moral choice at the centre of it and then manages to convey the complexity of it without ever alienating you from it. Yeah. it the fact, that I think I said, um, my mum read this after we picked it up from you after Christmas and it wouldn't be the normal kind of book. She wouldn't she wouldn't choose literary fiction. Yeah. She's a, a sort of Marion Keyes fan, Graham Norton fan, um, anything that's the sort of successor to Maeve Binchy. Yeah. Um, and this she really enjoyed and... and but is still in a place where she's saying, oh, well, I didn't know people were disappearing. Nah. And he's saying, of course you didn't, of course you nah. didn't. But it's that's what I think it maybe will do for Ireland, is that that generation, uh, and my own, reading it and sort of forcing you to confront the fact yeah. that these things didn't happen in isolation. Church yeah. and state didn't do this. People did this to people. And that's... Um, I think the as we look into the next sort of decades and the choices we have to make as a society, anything like this that makes us confront how we live our lives and our obligations to each other is a really powerful tool. It, and and that's what makes it universal. This book, I think, I don't know. Did you find it was maybe too Irish? Did it? No, no, not at no. all. I think when I read it, I realised that I knew the term Magdalene Laundries mm. and I didn't really know, I, I knew, I had very vague notions of what happened, mm. um, but it wasn't something I really knew loads of. I think <coughs> um, I, I, I was aware of it because of um, the film Philomena. Oh yes. Um, I, but I don't think, if I hadn't ever seen that, I don't know how much of all of this I'd have mm. known. Mm. Um, but I don't know if that's a case of cultural differences where I just it wasn't my country, so I just didn't mm. really take any notice, or whether it just wasn't talked about over mm. here. I don't I don't know how it'd be interesting to see how many other English people mm. know and to know what level they know. Like how yeah. I don't know how I don't know if that's the right word, but I don't know how mainstream it was known. Yeah. Um, over here, um, but it was certainly something I was aware of. Um, but I didn't find it too Irish. Um, I've read, a, I mean, I've read a lot of Irish mm. fiction. I, I read fiction all over the, the world. Um, so that, that didn't bother me. I think um, that there are always lines, it, it's certainly in Irish fiction, when people say, um, like, oh, you went there, so. And <laughs> um, it's just the, the sort of... the. The wet, the sort of Hiberno English stereotypes yeah. of Irish yeah. that you think of, and then they actually appear in a book, and you think, "Oh, is that right?" I guess yeah. it is. And see, I love that. I'm really conscious of that when I'm reading and when I'm talking to people. So I think of it as it's Hiberno English, and so it's we actually construct sentences and use syntax in ways that are coming from the Irish language. Yeah, and you've texted me in that and, way, and before. I take it for, <laughs> for granted that people will understand what I'm saying. So I, I had something at work the other day where I said something at work away, so. And they said, so I do it or I don't do yeah. it. I'm like, yeah, I genuinely was like, 
Marco Aso is what did, like, what did I say? <laughs> Surely that's a universally understood term, but apparently not. That's again something that's taken from the Irish language and so I love I I love that as a as something to listen to, as something to hear, something to see on the page. I think it's um for me it's what distinguishes Irish fiction, uh the best Irish fiction from other universal kind of yeah. very good fiction. Um it's why certain voices, um, you know, like the Joan Connors and so that I just absolutely love and will always want to, to read their next book. Um this one for me I think probably comes down to the discovery of Claire Keegan overall as an author, going back and reading Foster and the Forester's Daughter, and I just I which would her. you say was her best one? I thought Foster actually okay. ended up being um, the strongest, or uh, in terms of as a piece of fiction. Maybe small things like these resonates for me so much because the theme and the the whole issue of the Magdalene Laundries is something that I've sort of been really conscious of um as someone who's sort of socially attuned and so on um this you can for example with the Magdalene Laundries is a really interesting oral history project where you can go back and listen to the women in their own voices oh, wow. talk about their experiences and they are the one that sticks with me is is listening to a woman who had been raised in a laundry um and subsequently was institutionalised again herself when she got pregnant as a teenager but she talks about how um she didn't know what her birthday was because right. they'd never celebrated a birthday and she she when she was freed in her late teens and she didn't understand the idea that you had a birthday or that you had a birthday party or that it was an annual celebration of the day you were born like genuinely just didn't know, about just it. Didn't know. Wow. and that's that kind that's, of that's a thing that just, sticks, yeah, isn't it? It's, it stays with you. That that's the sort of thing that um I remember from reading something like Room as well. Mm, where mm, it's that sort mm. of thing that oh yeah, that, that just yeah. nugget of thing. That's another great Irish author. Yeah. <laughs> um, I what I liked about this was um again I don't read a lot of novellas. I don't read a lot of short stories. I think it. For me, it's the way it managed to encapsulate so much in so little. And this is a bit like when I say I read only on the weekends. Um, this was, to me, quite poetic in its prose. And that was just how I read mm. Mm. Um, Only on the Weekends, the Dean After. Oh, I think they're so different. Oh, they're incredibly different. <laughs> they're incredibly different. I'm just talking about my approach yeah. to reading. No, no, it's interesting. I mean, as I say, novellas and short story, I'm not a short story reader at all. It generally turns me off completely because I love to be propelled into a story by loving a character. And if something ends too abruptly or it's resolved, I feel hard done, but I feel yeah. like, it's too short. Nothing <laughs> happened. I needed, you know, to know their whole life story. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, but this, for me, yeah, I think this is a book that will be on my shelves for a very long time. I think it's one of the ones that I'm going to keep buying as gifts for other people. So I've bought it for my neighbour next door, I've bought it for my mother. Um, I'll probably buy it for someone as their Chris Kindle present for Christmas in, you know, in 10 months' time. Um, I can't, I think uh, it encapsulates for me, as I say, my experience of growing up in Ireland. I feel like if you read this, you understand where I came from. Right. And that's, I think, a powerful thing um, because we make assumptions about how close Britain and Ireland are and our experiences and so on, but they aren't. And that's something I've yeah. learned from living here over the last sort of 12, 13 years is that society, you know, in terms of society, vastly different. And so if you want to know what it was like growing up 
in Ireland in the 90s, this is what you Well, read. when you do want mm. to buy it yes. for other people, you can go to A, Burt's Books, the shop, because <laughs> yes. that's probably where you'll go, but you can also go to burtsbooks.co.uk and oh. find it on there as well. I know, but if I go into the shop, then I get the pleasure of either your company or Michael's or Pedro's or, or Frida's. Frida's. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know Frida's my favourite. Yeah, yeah, all right. So that is it for this week. We did manage to talk quite a lot, so I think we'll... I'm sorry. It. No, 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 it's fine. It's, I thought we would. Um, and actually, I feel like we, we talked some good quality stuff as well, instead of just wanging on, which is why you do. <laughs> <laughs> so that's because of the gender balance here. Yeah, there, it's, it's better, yeah. isn't it? And also, when, sometimes when I listen back, I can't always tell the difference between me and Michael. And sometimes some of the things he says, I was like, was that me that said that? <laughs> There um, weren't as many dick jokes this week, that's because... No, that's no, true. No. <laughs> well, hang on, it's not finished yet. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but, before we go, we do have to have a quick look at the charts. This mm. is something we do every week. I get really excited about this. Do you? I do, I love the charts. It's my favourite part of the Sunday papers, is looking and trying to predict what will be in the charts. Okay, so predict what is going to be number one this week. It's still going to be spare, isn't it? Well... Yeah, probably is. Um, <laughs> Which I don't mean to say I'm so disappointed by. No, but it's uh, it's massively um, gone gone down in terms of um, sales those numbers. I've been listening to you the last few weeks and those numbers, because I really, I don't think I would know enough to relate yeah. the sort of place in, in the charts to the numbers, but wow, that's kind of... I'd love to know how many have actually read it, though, as opposed yeah. to bought it. Well, I always <laughs> wonder that about, um, and not doing him down Richard Osman yes, because it's I agree. so bought as a Christmas present yeah. I like it I like them all I've enjoyed yeah, them I think they're same. a cracking good read but yes it's a very uh, safe gift yeah it's and the num- not going to offend anybody and what, what was interesting was the number of um, his books bought in hardback last year versus the second book the year before was pretty much flat and you don't see that you normally see a decline in a series and I think that's just the Christmas present buying. Yeah. It's really interesting. Anyway, to the charts mm-hmm. this week. Uh, there's a couple of... Well, one new entry into the top ten. Bit of a move around, though. So, at number ten, it is uh, the Fast 800... Actually, before we go to that, number eleven, How to Kill Your Family by Bella Mackie. I still take credit for that. I think, <laughs> you, I think you're perfectly entitled to it. I think you could take credit for... I don't just want to say you've been a sort of mansplain type of career for the rest of your days, <laughs> no, but I feel... No. I feel so you you could claim a bit of credit for even the next volume. But there you know, are some people who have found her because of our window. Yes. Uh, however small that number is. So at ten, down four places, is the Fast Eight Hundred Keto Recipe Book by Dr. Claire Bailey. This is, I mean, it's all health books at yes. this point. Uh, number nine, Sparring Partners, a collection of short stories from John Grisham. I haven't read, and I didn't know about it until I heard it on the podcast. And I'm not a short story fan, but I'm a big John Grisham. Really? Fan. I do. I love. I, th- oh, I okay. back from the days of the Pelican Brief and the Firm. I've read everything he's written that he's published in the last kind of number of years. And yeah, I do. I like a legal thriller. Yeah, I th- and I think he's the best at it. Yes. Uh, at number eight, new into the top ten, it's a new James Patterson. This one is his 14th Michael Bennett, uh, Shattered. At number seven, down three, uh, down four places to, from number three, is Pink of Nom by Kay Allenson. 
Uh, at number six, up one place, is the Colleen Hoover. It ends with us. No move at number five is Unwanted, the Kathy Glass book, one of those sort of miserable children <laughs> books, you know. Uh, I love, I just miss if you are as though it's done to death as a genre or something. It's just, I don't... I, the person who writes them, Kathy Glass, also writes under another name, something, I think Lisa Stone, possibly. But it's a, it, I think those ones might be fiction, these ones are non-fiction. Yeah. But they're all the same story. Every, like, there's a child in care and then something nice or something nasty happens to it. Uh, yeah, I can't, I don't, I couldn't read them, I think. No, I don't think I could read them, but it's probably an indictment of our world that, that there are so many stories yeah, like that to be told. True. That's probably um, the depressing bit. At number four. The Murder Book, which is the latest Mark Billingham. That one's a standalone of his. So I've never read... I think I've read one Mark Billingham. I've read a few. Not my favourite of that genre, but it's, it's good. still it's good. It's page-turning. Uh, Murders at Fleet House. That's Lucinda Riley. Um, she writes the Seven Sisters series. Oh. She died last year. This is the paperback of her last novel. Um, and then next year, it's oh. the Par Salt, which is the final book in her Seven Sisters series, which has been finished off by her son. Oh, that's really interesting. So I have a neighbour at home in Ireland who is um, going blind and deaf, and so she's trying to get in as many books as possible oh. before the sort of the moment comes when it won't be. And so she got me to download the last couple of these for her at Christmas to her iPad, and she has to blow mm. it up. She's about six words on a page, <laughs> oh. bless her. Um, but I didn't know there was something else. That's a good one to know to be able yeah. to, to make sure she gets that before. May, yeah. May that mm. one's coming. Um, so that's Murder at the Fleet House was that one. At number two, no change for The Board of Lunch Healthy Slow Cooker Cookbook by Nathan Anthony. And at number one, it's uh, Prince Harry. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, he is, he's only sold 37,000 copies this week. How many is the second book of 19,000. So, it could be, if he halves again, because he seems to be halving every week, he could end up not at number one next week. But how long is he going to stay in the top ten? It, I, I thought it would have dropped off a lot quicker than this, I'll be honest. Who's still buying it? Well, it's exactly. Been, it's been like, kind of serialised everywhere. Everybody who wanted it has, has we've, bought we've it. We've all heard about the frostbitten todger oh, and the... Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> on at this point. Jokes. I'm kind of... <laughs> Amused as to who's still spending on it, but yeah, I mean, the people are still interested, and I, and I think there's still a bit of people have heard it all in the news and are still a case of do you know what I want to hear? Mm. I want to read it for myself to make my own mm. judgment. I guess I don't know. He's, I think it's one of those interesting because it's not a safe present one. No, that's, I thought it was initially, but it's not because people are too divided by which side of this they yeah. fall on. So it's not actually one I that you could... Present, I got it from my mum. Yeah. She's a massive royalist. And I just thought, well, I'll get her the Prince Harry book. And then as I was sort of handing it over, I thought, mm, I don't know if you want this. I don't know yeah. what you think. And also, I don't want to know what you think. I don't... Like, <laughs> I so many people come into the shop and tell me whether they like Prince Harry or not. Oh, okay. Especially since we did the window. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm the person who could care the least. Um, <laughs> But people really want to tell you. I think I read that her, um, that Megan is going to have her um, memoir out uh, at some point. Yeah. That will be really interesting to see whether the numbers goes, yeah. go and because um, it really is potentially sort of a gendered thing in that and yeah. and, and, a way much, and a race thing. Let's be honest. And so uh, if it does as well, um, yeah, I wouldn't say. be surprised mm. if there was one for her. 
later in the year, possibly next mm. January. The publisher's got to annualise those mm. numbers. <laughs> if you were to try and predict now, based on what you know is coming out this year, what do you think could be could really topple them in numbers or could really stay at the top of the bestsellers list for, for a long span? Ooh, um, I don't know everything that's coming out. Uh, I would say, um, I mean, Richard Osman's paperback's coming in mm. May. That will do very well. There's, um, the publisher's just told me about an Alistair Campbell book. Oh, Which yeah. could be interesting, but I don't think it will do the numbers they might be anticipating. I don't know. There's a Boris Johnson book coming. Um, again, David Cameron's book failed, flopped miserably. Um, I don't know that Boris's will do the same. I, I think it will do I, well. I think it will do but well, but I don't know how well. Um, I think Alistair Campbell's could surprise you. Yeah. His podcast with um, Rory... Oh, that politician from London. Uh, and, uh, uh, yes, the, yeah. Rory Stewart. R yes, uh, it's, it's really good. Yeah. He has a really good listenership. I think, I, I think, funny on Twitter. I think he could... I think he could do well. Mm. Um, I don't. I think it's coming out at a funny time of year. Okay. Um, the in terms of fiction, um, I, I think something like um, the Lucinda Riley will do well when that comes out. But that's only in hardback, so it's not going to do massive numbers. Mm. And then um, the there's one more, which is Paul McCartney. He's oh, that'll got, do very well. Well, it's interesting. It's a mass. It's a photo book. Okay. Um, but it's it's quite expensive. It's like sixty quid, I think. Ooh, I think that's it's a that much. Price tag. Yeah, and like the publisher was all excited about it and like telling us, "Oh, we've got something to announce tomorrow. Make sure you're ready. Make sure you're ready." And then they announced it, and I've not seen a single person talk about it since. Mm. Um, but once it comes out, maybe it'll do well. It might do some decent numbers in in terms of gifting, but it's still quite mm. expensive for a gift. It is. Um, it's not something I, I mean my dad doesn't particularly like the Beatles but it, it's one of those books I feel like you might buy a parent mm. um, but I wouldn't spend 60 quid on him <laughs> <laughs> maybe that says more about the state of my relationship with my dad that could be one to ponder <laughs> yeah. for next time um, we'll leave it there then um, uh, before we go there's one last thing to say do get in contact with me Bert at bertsbooks.co.uk if you want to ask me a question give me some feedback want me to pass on your number to Julianne if that's how you feel Frida if you feel like Michael is missing and you want to find out what he's been up to you can find that out as well just send us an email and I might answer I might not um, if you want any books that's the place to go and if you need to talk to us about anything else we're on Twitter Facebook Instagram TikTok all of those at Burt's Books. That is everything for this week. Say goodbye Julianne. Goodbye.